Waylon and I have talked about a couple of times this documentary I mentioned on the way over Wild Wild Country. And this community is it has so many kind of like superficial similarities to that community, which is the Sinyasins who built this amazing city in Oregon, but then kind of went off the rails. But it's also very different because this community is, you know, it's very monogamous, like very, it's in some ways kind of a conservative community, mm -hmm. but at, at the same time, very progressive. So it's mm -hmm. interesting. It really believes in discipline and austerity, dedication and loyalty. And again, this is a vacation where you're waking up at 2.30 in the morning and doing all these sometimes really painful meditations. <laughs> so... But, you know, what it does is it really sets you up for the rest of the year. You know, one of the other practices that my wife and I will often do is we have to bring this back is we'll do something called the secular Sabbath. Mm -hmm. So, you know, from sundown Saturday evening to sundown Sunday, there's no um, shopping. There's no work of any kind. There's no Internet. You know, you could watch a movie in the evening. Okay. And that would be okay. okay. But there's no, like surfing the web or anything right, like right. that. And I'll tell you, we you did it. You can't check baseball scores. You could watch a baseball game. You can watch a baseball game, okay. Yeah. All right. You know, because you have to have some limits. Without limits, you're really stuck, you know. Right. And we, it was at a time when Harper was one years old, and we were both just kind of being crushed by the endless... Uh, yeah, no, it's overwhelming. Of, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. And it's, so you would think, you would think the last thing you want to do in that situation where you're overwhelmed with stuff to do is take a day off, right? That's the last thing you want to do. But actually... That day off reshapes what time is. It reshapes what the week is. And you become much more efficient, actually. You know, time becomes a much more manageable thing. But never taking a break is such a dangerous thing. Even in the depths of feudalism, there was a day off mm -hmm. for basically slaves, mm -hmm. you know, field slaves. There was a Sabbath that where that's time off because any good manager knows that if you work somebody seven days all through the year there's actually you're declining gonna, productivity yeah you're gonna break yeah. the tool yeah and you look at <laughs> route 91 on a sunday and it's packed right. you know and when i was growing up and i grew up in massachusetts in eastern massachusetts there was sundays everything was closed totally blue closed. laws yeah same in philly. did you have that oh yeah absolutely yeah. Philadelphia well, and you know who was behind that right probably in philly as well the commonwealth no who oh. was who was behind blue laws do you think think about it uh, who really where's uh, the political weight coming from um, Philadelphia, Boston. Where's it coming from? Who was behind Blue Laws? I, I'm, this I'm, relates I'm, I'm to a, the conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to answer the question for fear I'm wrong. I mean, what's what's I have what's no idea. What's wrong with being wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid to answer the You're question because I have all no blessed idea. <laughs> Not only are you wrong all the time, you don't even know it. I know, exactly, exactly. That's, that's dangerous. Who, who, who are you talking the about? The Catholic Church. Oh, okay. And churches right. in general. Right. Or they do not want things open on Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon. They want people to go to church. And sure. belief systems yeah. okay. are always in conflict with consumer, the, the marketplace, right. unless they incorporate it. You know, they're in conflict with it. So uh, it's just interesting to, to take a day off or take this week off and to reset and be austere and stuff like that. So when you're talking about where in society you would want to live, then I think it's, and this is maybe can lead us into our conversation now. How do we get the goodness back in a sustainable way where it's not just theater and show, right? If I have my Harley and I'm with my Harley guys, mm. I'm not, that's not necessary. Like I can't pretend that I'm necessarily doing something, but, and this is also something that's talked about in the book. If there's a disaster, then I feel very necessary and people love it. They want to mm -hmm. feel necessary. He talks about the floods in new Orleans. He talks about post September 11th. He talks about the bombings in London. You can't fake feeling necessary. 
you, you can only do it a little bit and then you take off the leather vest and you realize, oh, actually, I am kind of alone and actually society would be fine without me. It can continue without me. How do we solve that? Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I mean, people, it's, there's no doubt about it, people crave connections and they come together, especially in the aftermath of a tragedy or, or an incident, you know, and it can happen at all kinds of levels. I mean, like after the... Uh, the marathon bombings in Boston, you know, Boston came together, Boston strong. And everyone says, well, this just reveals Boston's character. This is the nature of the city. And then I'm thinking, well, if this were to have happened in any other city, that city would have right. come together. I mean, I think people come together. Exactly. Oh, and, yes. you know, that could be a nationalism or in this case, like Boston nationalism, or it can be, you know, pride for a team, you know, whatever it might be. People, you know, feel connections to people, um, and, and you know, kind of a small end nationalism, and it can be at the country level, it could be at the city yeah. level, it can be a an institution. You know, you feel like you're you're loyal to your employer as opposed to another. I'm a Red Sox fan. Yeah, you know, and 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 it can be malevolent or it can be benevolent. It you can. know, if it's you know, if it's a if it's a destructive nationalism, yep. you know, that's clearly bad. You know, and and we know we know plenty of examples of that. Although I will make it if I can put a <clears> fine point on it, what starts off as benevolent can often become malevolent. That's yeah. often the problem. Right. That is, you are drawing a sense of community around yourself by identifying as an American, and that can be really this. That can be fine. That can be a good thing. And but it might wear off, and then you have to like, okay, well, I'm not just an American. I'm not that. Well, you but then I think also what happens with a lot of nationalisms is that it turns inward, and then it becomes a question of purity. You know, right. are you X Actual enough? Are you American enough? Are you, yep. you know, are you, and then you can put race into it. You can put religion into it. Are you white enough? Are you Christian enough? Are you straight enough? You know, whatever it might be, you can get all kinds of really, you know, dark nationalisms right. that, that, can, that can emerge if you're not careful, if you're not, if you're not cautious about um, how, you know, the kinds of things you emphasize. Um, but you asked a question, like, how do, you, how do you get it back or how do you get it? And Without I, pretending. Without pretending, how do because you make, make it genuine? Um, and I think part of it is, <clears throat> excuse me, I think part of it is um, looking to the middle, looking to the broad. And we were talking earlier about how, you know, extremes are what we all focus on and where our, our eyes are drawn to the sort of like, you know, the, uh, the, 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 yeah. the few cases, the extreme examples, you know, and say, oh, look at, you know, this is a terrible instance of X or a terrible instance of Y. And then you generalize from that and say, well, everything's like that. It's like, no, 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 those are the exceptions. That's, you know, if you think about a piece of, think about a huge pie, yep. you know, there may be a sliver of the pie that is bad or extreme or problematic or concerning. And I'm not saying ignore that, but the bulk of the pie is still Do you see the problem good. in that though? Here's what I see is the problem with right, that, push. is that the middle is so large that you can't have tribalism in it. And that, in fact, that the far right and the far left are satisfying their tribal urge, actually. Uh -huh. This is something, again, that Sebastian Younger talks about, and he talks about how he really hates the polarization yeah. of the parties. But to me, I would say, well, no, it's, it's actually the tribal hunger that's feeding that polarization because you can identify as far right or far left. You're in a smaller group because you are on the fringe, right? right? It's a more manageable size. Whereas, what tribe are we talking about in the middle? It's just, you're talking about millions of people going about their business. They're not really that connected with one another. Yeah, and I think but what you have to do is you have to be watchful. Because that kind of extreme or sort of like, uh, it can be, can be seductive, can be appealing. It's, you know, it's sharpening, it's clarifying. Yeah. And it's harder, if you will, to be 
quote unquote in the middle or you know the, the rest of it um it's 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 less it's less clear it's less sharp it's less it's less, it's less, it's, well, it's less yeah. connected it's but not necessarily not necessarily i think you know you can you can find a lot of common ground more common ground than you might think um, by 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 ref- from by, by no, refraining from going to the extremes but there's no place where we can hang our hat or go sit someplace and have our party hall and fly our flags what uh, flag is it i don't know i mean you know it's interesting give me a second here yeah. because you look at the rise of fascism in in europe and it was a lot about displaced young men in their 20s right the, the world war 1 had really dislocated a huge free radical Generation. force basically right. uh, for all kinds of reasons economic you know the war itself declining religion declining family units i mean hitler is of course a perfect example of this he basically was alone you know and he was one of many people who was really had nothing to attach himself to mm. and that kind of when you lay out a situation where there's there's no institutions that are kind of steady and healthy to attach yourself to then people want the attachment for the attachment's sake and they don't they don't conceive it as a great evil when they're starting it you know that's not the yeah. goal um, they see it as a way of like finding an anchor and right. you know hitler of course talked about that all the time about an anchor a fixed point like they were they were rebelling against a relativistic world where everything was allowed you know but that they were on the bottom they were on the bottom of the pile you know economically and other ways um so yeah I, and i think that's again that's the 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 appeal yeah. that is, you know, can, of that kind of call can be seductive and it can be clarifying and it's sort of, e- in some ways, easy yeah. to fall into that. I mean, it's easy to sort of say, you know, to, to you know, in the, uh, in the case of a fascistic uh, context, to pick on the other, you know, sort of construct another as being different than who we are. And you can, that can be clarifying and, and clarifying. appealing. It but, makes our connection stronger. Yeah. Right? If we're buddies in this movement then in some ways it's an act of affection because it brings us closer together. Like, see, this is, this is my, theory, my thesis here, is that even in the worst movements, ISIS or whatever it is, Milosevic, Milosevic appealing to Serbs. In even Spain, in the uh, worst right. movements, that in fact the kernel is not hatred, is, but is love. And that, that affection and bond and love, unfortunately, is going down the wrong tube and, and a terrible with tragic results that's just unforgiv- unforgivable massacres so, but it's a and love, stuff like it's that. It's a love for, often, I think, it's a love for a constructed artifice, a constructed sense of identity that is not, that is not real. And it's, you know, again, it's beguiling, it's appealing, but it's not genuine. So when Milosevic goes into Kosovo and says to Serbs, you're being, uh, you're being victimized and, you know, we were part of a greater Serbian nation, it's appealing. It sort of, it taps into people's, I mean, it's sort of yeah. a people's filial or sense of, uh, of affection. in the back in Germany. But it's, but it's a, but it also is, it's, it's a false bill of goods. It's not really, Why? because... People, Why is it not as legitimate pe- as any other bill of goods? Because people aren't. I mean, it's it's a much, I think, a, a pluralistic kind of society. A pluralistic identity is is much more human. It's much more who the what the world is. Sure, there's languages and there's nationalisms and there's religions. I'm not denying that. I'm not you know being naive and silly about that. But but I still think it's 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 too easy to fall into those kinds of appeals to like. 
well, we're all similar. We're so, we're all similar co-religionists, or we're similar ethnicities, or we're similar language. It's like, why why is why is that a good thing? Why not? You know, or I, I think it's, what Steinbeck said. You mm-hmm. know, there's two two ways of responding to a stranger coming to town. Yeah. You know, one way is to say, you know. You're you mean not from Sebastian here. Sebastian Younger, not Steinbeck. No, I mean Steinbeck. Oh, really? Yeah, it was Steinbeck said when a stranger comes to town, you could respond by saying, "You're not from here, go away." Yeah. Another thing to say is like, "Oh, you're not from here. Tell me about yourself. You know, where are you from?" And I, again, I well, don't want to be naive and say, I "Oh, you know, argue. we can all get happy, happy." But, I would but there's argue. still a lot to be said for learning from people who are different and Absolutely. appreciating it. I'm not going to sit here on live radio and dispute that, but I will. <laughs> I will argue that the places where in which that uh, flows that tolerance and interest usually economically advantageous to that place. Yeah, New York yeah. City is a port. Right. It is, and cities, it's still to its core. Right. It really relies on that ethic right. because you make more money and you get richer and you get you get beautiful women and beautiful men and yeah. you know. No, yeah, right. I mean, whereas cool. if you're on top of a mountain, there's not much economic advantage to a stranger coming into town. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you're going to have to share the water. I don't know you. I'm up on this I mountain for a reason. I can't speak your language. I understand you. You look different. I got yeah. up on this yeah. mountain to get away from people. Now <laughs> you're here. So, uh, you know, I really think, and look at Northampton or Amherst. These are towns that are on the Connecticut River. Again, and they're university towns university and stuff towns, like that. Right. They are incentivized to welcome out, uh, you know. To be diverse, to be diverse and pluralistic. There's right. nothing wrong with that. But I think right. it's important to look at this in the clear light of day and say, this is because it's economically advantageous. On the ride over, we talked about Mecca. You know, right. Mecca, pre-Muslim Mecca, was a pluralistic society because the Kaaba held 365 idols. Hmm. Because that meant 365 tribes would come once a year and sell stuff in Mecca, and they could tax the goods coming into Mecca. So when Muhammad comes along and says, forget about pluralism, there's only one God, it is, it is not an attack on the theology of Mecca. It's an attack on the economic system of Mecca. That is, he's going to ruin, don't ruin this for everybody. So I'm very skeptical about, I, I, about this conversation, I, about I, how some people... Now, there is true that some people are naturally conservative and some people are, are naturally... My wife is much more open to uh, strangers than I am. Mm-hmm. That is, feels genetic to me almost. Like, it really does. Yeah, but I also think, like, a, you know, kind of, just, to, just to pick on nationalism, and I, just to use that as a, uh, as, a, uh, as a proxy for this kind of dynamic... I think the problem with nationalisms tends to be that even when you're in a nationalism and you're with fellow nationalists, I think this is where Younger's pointing at, you can still feel terribly isolated yep. because you don't feel, you, you, you feel like your, your loyalties in question, you feel like you know, your authenticity, your, mm-hmm. your genuineness, I'm are sure. you... Are you nationalistic enough? Are you are you um, you know well, are you, are you American point. enough? Are you are you you know and and if I think that's that's nationalisms tip into malevolence and move toward malevolence often you know it's almost like a ineluctable yeah. kind of like draw toward that dynamic because there's this sort of uh, sort of move toward purity like you know we are right. we have to be we have to be genuinely that's what revolutions do and that's that's. That's bad. I and that's, that's why how we have revolutions to push back burn themselves out. Yes. Well, here's the thing. You, you definitely can push back against nationalism. But you can't dismiss tariffs as un, like unmor- immoral, for example. Like, there's this economic aspect of nationalism, right. which the idea is, in the best case, is to bring manufacturing back home and put jobs back into American hands. There's nothing immoral about that. A tariff's a tariff. It's a device. It's a lever. But, it's a way of, but you're taxing your own citizens. 
That's, but that could be okay if it benefits citizens because it puts them back to work. It's a lever. It's, uh-huh. I'm not saying we, don't, we can talk about whether tariffs work or okay. not, and okay. that's like a separate conversation. But I feel like tariffs are attacked as like, like the same as like, like some kind of like, you know, kind of virulent nationalism or like hatred of other people. I don't see it that way. It's an economic means. And if I told you before the election of 2016, I said, Greg, here's what I want to do. I want to bring jobs back to the United States more because that's actually environmentally more efficient in a lot of ways than having it come from China. And it's also going to get people working again. And I want to spread wealth away from the cities and into the middle of the country. You would probably say, okay, Norm, you know, that sounds like a good agenda. Like tariffs are a means by which to do it. Now, I don't know how these tariffs are going to work out. But what I object to and what I find uncredible is when tariffs are equated with like an evil action. They're just a means by which to figure out where stuff gets made, essentially. And we can disagree about it and stuff like that, but it's not the same kind of nationalism as Chinese people are bad or no, something I, like yeah, that. I, 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 I take that point. Right, you're right. Economic nationalism or mercantilism or whatever you want to call it is, uh, you know, there's, there's an argument that could be made that it's better for the national economy and you want to support well, the national yeah. economy. Alexander Hamilton... Sure. That was his stuff. That Absolutely. was what he was all about. And, and it's a... Uh, and they ha- also have you, not You're not going to start singing often. Hamilton. I, okay. Alexander Hamilton. Right. But it's... Um, I mean, that's, that kind of economic nationalism, you can make an argument, uh, and I'm not... You know, that's a... It's a... You know, that we can get a whole kind of sure. trade and efficiency that's, and comparative advantage kind of discussion, but... But it's not, yeah, you're right. It's not automatically a malevolent, no. you know, evil nationalism. That's not what I'm talking about either. No. I'm thinking more about the kind of anti-immigrant, yeah, sure, xenophobic, xenophobic, you know, Absolutely. anti-Muslim kind of uh, yeah, no, there's you know, sort no, of stuff there's, that we've seen. It's just not good, good stuff at no. all, and I agree with that. But I think what you've got to do is ask yourself, my assumption is that most people are good people. Like, really, like, yeah, all, uh, almost all people are. I, so if people are tapping into that, my question is, Why? Like, why are people tapping into that? What wounded pride? I've said this for years, that the number one American health issue is wounded pride. <laughs> like, that's actually the biggest health issue right. in America. I really believe that. And if people don't feel proud or they don't feel seen and they feel dismissed, then you're actually partially responsible for setting up the system by which they feel dismissed and not seen. That's why Hillary's deplorable comment really was backfired. terrible. It was like the worst thing that... I think it, an American politician has ever it said. Was, it, well, I don't know about that because you got a lot of competition. <laughs> oh, but yeah. but it's just that it's kind really. of thing where it's like, well, I'm not, I didn't get invited to the party. Right. And I don't really feel good about how I'm being viewed in society. So. Oh, I agree. And I think the, um, I mean, there's actually, I know we're starting to run out of time, yeah. but I also think there's a, um, there's a lot of political science writing going on these days about dignity, the concept of yes. dignity and the importance of dignity. And in Africa, there's a whole notion of, uh, Hogra, H-O-G-R-A, Hogra, which is this sort of uh, rejection of the state for visiting indignity on an individual. 